Welcome to episode 97 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, Google Maps is awesome. But what if you could brainstorm a new Google initiative called Google Trails? What would you include? Then on today's top five list, a few simple suggestions to help diffuse conflict on the trail. For the Summit Gear Review, a neck gaiter that does double duty with a secret storage compartment. Then for the backpack hack of the week, a trashy way to keep your pack contents dry. All this and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. Google is always doing fun, innovative stuff. Who would have thought a few years ago that it would be practical at all to drive every street in the world and take a picture every 10 feet and have Google Street View? Like That just seemed impossible. And then they went and did it. And now we use that all the time. And we just, I mean, we expect it now. We look at Street View and say, oh, that picture's a few years old. Come on, it needs to be updated. (laughs) (laughs) We're just so used to it. And we found all kinds of uses for it. It's become really helpful. I use it almost on a daily basis to figure out the best route to a particular place. And not only that, I know what the traffic is going to be like right now. I know about any construction delays, all of this stuff on Google Maps. But if we change the topic from roads to trails, we get nothing. And that's where we think Google really has an incredible opportunity to use the technology that they already have and create Google Trails. I mean, think about it. You would know every trail in the United States where the campsites are. Just getting the trail system mapped in the United States would be incredible. I know that Google has done a quote-unquote street view or trail view, I guess you would call it, for a few really famous trails. And so they have this wearable gear that, you know, this backpack that you put on that's got the computer inside of it and the camera sticking up above uh, on this kind of ball, you know, and and then as you walk the trail, it takes all the pictures and they come up with their Google street view of a trail. But they've only done it for a handful of trails, and it's just the really popular stuff. To me, what I would really love is to just simply have the trails mapped in the first place. There's so many trails that just don't even show up on Google Maps at all. I mean, you can find the Pacific Crest Trail and a few other really big ones. They're on the map, and nothing else is. And so I guess while it would be great to have reviews, trail conditions, closures, construction... uh, All the extras... Yeah, that would be wonderful. But if they could at least just start with actually putting the trails on the map. Well, maybe the problem is they just can't find enough people who like hiking and backpacking to strap something on and walk through a gorgeous forest and map all those beautiful trails. 
I really don't think that's the problem. Yeah, I don't tough think job there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I bet they could find millions of people who would love to do that. In fact, they'd probably find more people to do Google Trails than people who want to drive around every single street of the United States with a little camera on their car. It just sounds like so much more fun to hit the trails and provide this public service. And the street view gear is quite bulky, but if you were just going to map a trail, all you need is a GPS device, which of course is embedded in your cell phone, and all they would need is for people to upload GPS tracks from carrying their phone, which they already carry, as they hike on a trail. It seems like it would be pretty simple to get that inventory of trails, and I would love to have it. Just the other weekend, we helped to clean up and clear a trail near our house. It's a little nature trail that's probably a mile or two long, and I had no idea it even existed until we did that service project to clean it up. Now I know it's there, and I want to go back with the family and just hike that trail. It would be a great wintertime hike for us because it's low elevation, close to home, but it's not on the map anywhere. And so how would you know about it unless you just happen to live in that town or you did a service project? Now, there are lots of websites out there with inventories of trails. We have some really good ones here in the Pacific Northwest, and they're all crowdsourced, so people can contribute uh, information about trails to these sites, and their inventories sort of grow over time. But that's just my problem with it, I guess. I mean, those are good, and they fill a particular need, which is um, for the trails that they do cover, they cover them really well, and they've got reviews from people who recently hiked the trail, pictures, all of this stuff. That's amazing. They do a really good job of that. What I think is missing is that complete inventory. Just like the road system, every road in the world is mapped. But for some reason, every trail in the world is not mapped. And I, I just, oh, I wish we could just get that foundation in place. And if that foundation was there, it would actually make the job a lot easier for all those other sites that do trail reviews, because they'd have this database to pull from of all the precise trail data, you know, the location data, and then they could build their value and their, their information on top of that basic data. Okay, so while we're dreaming, what else could we throw in for features besides reviews, what weather updates, trail closures? Um, printable maps, topographic overlays, just, you know, kind of things that would help you in the trip planning process. There could even be like a search and rescue feature built in where you could log in when you get out on the trail or before and if you didn't log out after your trip, Search and Rescue would be notified, and they would have a general idea of where you were. And you can cobble this together now with various sites and services, uh, like hikeralert.com uh, for five bucks a year. We'll do that particular feature where you can say, this is where I'm going, and this is when I plan to be back. And then if you don't check in by your planned return time, Hiker Alert will notify people that you have told it in advance that you want to notify. So if we could pull all that together, have the complete inventory of trails, have those extra features like reviews and everything, and then throw on top of that these things like Hiker Alert, where you can actually do your trip planning and even emergency notification all put together. There you go. That's a perfect package. Perfect. Now, before we start our top five list, you already know that if you show kindness on the trail, it goes a long way in smoothing out conflict. But 
If you do happen to experience some trail time that leaves you scratching your head, wondering where all of those friendly hikers are that we talk about so much on the show, we have some tips in this segment that may help you. And one other thing that I want to note before we get started is that the idea of disruptive site mates is just so rare when you're backpacking. From my experience, it's actually more of a car camping thing, you know, because you're just packed in so tightly and lots of people go out car camping. You don't necessarily have to have outdoor experience or understand the culture of backpacking to do car camping. But that doesn't mean that it will never happen on the trail when you're backpacking. So we kind of wanted to talk today about how to deal with either disruptive site mates or just kind of grumpy people on the trail. Yeah, we're kind of focused on the disruptive site mates, you know, where you've set up camp for the evening and now you're kind of stuck there with these people that are causing some problems. Um, But we can also just run into some conflict while we're hiking, you know, on the trail. I'm thinking about the time we had uh, when we went to... (laughs) The horses? No, no, no. (laughs) Not the horse ladies. We've talked about the horse ladies before. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm thinking about when we went to Mirror Lake with Jonathan from the Hang Your Own Hang podcast. And as we came up towards the lake, there was a Y in the trail. So the five of us stopped there at the Y, and we were looking at the signs and deciding which way we were supposed to go. While we were there, this very large group came up behind us and got annoyed because we were blocking the trail and kind of bulldozed their way through us and went hiking on ahead of us. Oh, yeah. I remember that lady. She kind of said, you guys are blocking the trail. Right. And then brought all of her. It was like 30 girls, maybe, that were on kind of a running team or a sports team or something and just kind of pushed their way through. It was kind of awkward. And unexpected, like you just don't encounter people like that very often on the trail. Yeah, it's kind of a shock when it does happen because you're not used to it. And anyway, they blew past us and we figured out the right way to go. And we started hiking the right way that we needed to go. And about 60 seconds later, this group blew past us again because they had not stopped at the Y in the trail and had taken the uh, the wrong fork. So, you know, stuff like that happens, and it does leave a little bit of a, I don't know, just kind of an icky feeling that sticks with you a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's what we want to talk about is that how do you just kind of put away that icky feeling, and how do you maybe connect with some people that you're kind of aggravated about? Well, the number one tip for dealing with disruptive site mates or disruptive hikers is just to whisper to yourself this little mantra this too shall pass. For the most part, it's just going to last for a few hours. They'll be noisy or they'll have all these bright lights on, but really, eventually, they will quiet down. They'll turn off the lights. And even if it goes on pretty late, you know, 11, 12, 1, morning will come and you can just hike on. And even if they end up following you down the trail, you'll have a little bit of, uh, you know, past experience and you'll be able to plan your next night accordingly, maybe a little bit further away from this boisterous group. Now, I can't think of one exception and it involved my own son. (laughs) 
This was a father-son <laughs> campout, and we decided that since the 10-year-old Cub Scouts needed to pass off a requirement for camping overnight in a tent that they set up, that it would be a good idea if we had all of the 10-year-old Cub Scouts <laughs> set up and sleep in the same tent, which was about 10 feet away from my tent <laughs> and 10 feet away from a few other tents. And literally the entire night they were talking. <laughs> A few of them fell asleep. Our son did not. He pulled an all-nighter as a 10-year-old. Incredible. Anyway, so, um, but I had to kind of take the blame for that. It was my own son. Well, it eventually did pass. I can't believe he stayed up all night. He's the only one in our family that can do that. Yeah, that's true. Well, the number two tip for dealing with disruptive site mates is to connect with them. I think the internet has proven over and over that anonymity does not bring out the best in us. So if you can tear down those walls of anonymity and make a little connection, I think that can go a long way in, um, in having that mutual respect that we have come to appreciate on the trail. On our summer backpacking trip to the Oregon coast, uh, there was a day we were just sitting down by the lake and uh, a guy with his dog came along and he asked us, hey, is it okay if I let my dog off the leash? Is there anyone here who's afraid of dogs? And of course, we want to be able to say, oh, yeah, there's no one who's afraid of dogs here. Go for it. But in fact, uh, you, Heather, are, what's the word? I mean, afraid is the wrong word. But, right. But you're bothered by a dog that just comes up and you know, just came out of the lake and shakes itself off right next to you. Or uh, licks my hand. I don't want to sound like a mean, mean, mean person, but I just kind of don't like things licking my hand and dogs tend to do that. And so, yeah, I'm not afraid. I'm just like, I just like my personal space. You have a certain personal space and <laughs> dogs tend to not honor that personal space. and right. They just come right up to you. And so I did feel like, you know, I, I tried to tell him in a, you know, without being really overbearing, but just let him know, well, yeah, she is kind of a little bit leery of dogs or something. I can't remember exactly mm -hmm. how I put it. Um, and so this guy, I think he took his dog down to the other end of yeah. the lake. Um, they were down there for quite a while and then came back up towards us. And, and the dog did come running up to us and I sort of fended it off, you know, <laughs> so it would not invade your personal space. But um, as he came back up to our end of the lake, we struck up a conversation with him because um, I didn't want to leave him feeling like we were these grouchy dog haters. Um, I wanted him to know that not everyone likes having a dog come up and lick their face. But at the same time that he I, I wanted him to be comfortable being out there and being there near us and not have that bad feeling of like, oh, you know, these people ruined my trip. And so, yeah, we got to talking a little bit and just asked, you know, those basic questions like, have you hiked this trail before and where are you from? And, you know, and just some basic things like that. And it helps to break the ice and, and help us and him both feel a little more connected to each other. The number three tip for dealing with disruptive site mates is don't escalate the situation. If the other campers are doing something to disrupt your happy life, like leaving wrappers in your site or taking the last of the toilet paper from the pit toilet, don't kick it up a notch, especially if you're prone to passive aggressive <laughs> behavior. <laughs> Just remember the first mantra. Remember, this too shall pass. And I especially love this quote. It takes two people to have an argument and I will not be one of them. 
And this completely applies to hiking. It applies to marriage. I can't even think of a place where it doesn't apply. So just let it go. Our fourth tip for dealing with disruptive sitemates is to remember that you can relocate. It's a bit of a pain. You've got to take down all your stuff, pack it up, and go somewhere else. But sometimes it ends up being the right thing to do, and you can just let out a deep breath and relax once you get to your new spot. We thought about this a lot when we were car camping. You know, it was like, oh, that's a really noisy boombox in the site next to us, and it's a really noisy generator on the other site, on the other side of us. Maybe if we were to just uh, get back in the car and drive halfway around the loop and find another spot, uh, maybe that's worth it. And sometimes it is. Uh, Even when you're out backpacking, there are some really heavily trafficked trails. Keep in mind, though, a lot of those heavily trafficked trails, if you quote-unquote relocate to a different time of year, it'll be a completely different experience. Exactly. The shoulder season, which we're coming up on here, is so quiet, so wonderful, and a completely different experience than summertime backpacking. And that's why we love shoulder season backpacking so much. And the number five tip for dealing with disruptive site mates is to report it to the ranger office. And that way, if there's any permanent damage, then the rangers will be aware and be able to either find the hikers, fix the problem, or prevent a future problem. There was a really well-known rock formation on the Oregon coast near Cape Kawanda. It was called the Duck Bill. And on September 5th, just a few weeks ago, it was destroyed by just a group of people. They just uh, kicked and pushed on it until it collapsed. Someone actually caught the whole thing on cell phone video. That's the kind of thing that should definitely be reported. Um, It's just so sad to see that um, this iconic landmark is now gone for what appeared to be just a very brief moment of quote-unquote fun by these people pushing it over. And if you witness something like this, definitely take down as much information as you can. It may or may not be safe to approach the individual or group, so just get the information that you can and then turn it into the ranger's office. Really, for the most part, I doubt that it's ever going to get to this level where you have to report something to the ranger's office. And especially the further back into the woods you go, it just seems like people, they work so hard to get that far back into nature and to just enjoy the beauty that's out there. The chances of you finding someone, you know, carving their initials into a thousand year old tree are pretty rare out there. And just as a final word, don't be that guy or that girl that people consider to be a disruptive site mate. You know, tent walls are thin, the forest is fragile and resilient to a certain point, and we're all just out there to have a good time. So just be sure that your good time doesn't spill over and affect someone else's good time. For today's Summit Gear Review, we will be reviewing the Neck Gator from Sholdit. Sholdit is a brand that makes these really beautiful infinity scarves. It's a girl thing. I don't know. It's it's like a scarf that doesn't have an end. It just kind of keeps wrapping around your neck. And those infinity scarves have hidden pockets. My sister, who travels a lot, she bought one so she could like have a little zippered pocket for her keys and her passport and all those important things, and she could just stick it right in her scarf. 
Well, Sholdit also has a fleece neck gaiter. And not only is this completely relevant to backpacking, but it solves a problem on the trail. The Sholdit neck gaiter is made of 100% polyester. It's just really soft brushed fleece. So it feels great against your skin. A neck gaiter is really similar to a buff, just covers your neck so it keeps your neck nice and warm. And the thing that's unique about this neck gaiter is that it has a zippered pocket. It's not a huge pocket, but it's the perfect size for little things that you just want immediate access to, like your MP3 player, you can fit your cell phone in there, you can put a hand warmer in there. Um, you could even stick a few snacks in there. You could also stick your hearing aid in there. Some people don't like to wear it on the trail and they just want to have access to it. So that's a nice soft place to put it. One of the benefits of keeping some of those snack items close to your body is that if you're hiking in the winter, it will actually keep your granola bar soft instead of teeth crackingly cold. The shoulder neck gaiter can be used four different ways. It has some of the same versatility as a buff. It can be used as a neck gaiter, so just wear it around your neck. You can use it as a headband. You can roll it down and use it as an ear warmer, or the way that I like to use it is as an open-ended hat. I even use it a fifth way and sometimes just take it off of my head and use it as a hand muff. You know, like they used to do back in the, I don't know, 1800s when all those ladies had those hand muffs. Yeah, you just hold it in your hands. I mean, it's yeah. around your hands and you just hold your hands together. Yeah, that's it. It measures 11.5 inches by 10 and a half inches. And the pocket is five inches by six inches. And it weighs 2.9 ounces or 81 grams. For maintenance, you'll just want a machine wash or hand wash and then lay it flat to dry. For investment, the shoulder neck gaiter costs $30. And for trial, I used this on our Salmon River trip. It was a chilly trip. It was our winter backpacking trip, even though there was no snow. It was just kind of a cold, damp trip. And so I really appreciated having this fleecy layer right next to my neck. It was soft. It was warm. And I stuffed my MP3 player in there and just enjoyed listening to some really great music on the trail. It doesn't have a two-way zipper, which a lot of times when there's a pocketed piece of gear, you can stuff the whole jacket into this pocket or the whole day pack into this little zippered pocket. This doesn't have that, so you can stuff the whole shoulder into itself, but you just won't be able to zip it shut. And on top of that, fleece isn't very compactable, so it doesn't really make sense to even stuff it to just leave it the way it is or fold it up and put it in your pack when you're not using it. This is just a really simple piece of gear with a really basic feature that you can't really find in any other neck gaiter. So I really appreciated the zipper. It just adds more functionality. And on top of that, it's a really comfortable piece of gear and will keep you warm on these upcoming shoulder season backpacking trips. Today's backpack hack of the week is a waterproof backpack liner using a trash compactor bag. Most of the time when we think about protecting our packs from the rain, we think about external pack covers. And that's what I bought for my pack when I went and bought my Deuter pack. I also bought an external pack cover that wraps entirely around the outside of the pack. But you didn't. 
When you bought your Osprey pack, you did not buy a pack cover. You came up with a different solution. Yeah, I just got a box of trash compactor bags. And one of the things that I love about using just plastic bags is that they are 100% waterproof. If you use a pack cover, a lot of times those are treated with like a durable water repellent coating, or they have some kind of spray-on polyurethane coating. And over time, that can wear off and lose its ability to be water repellent. So this hack is just a really cheap and easy way to ensure that you have a completely waterproof pack inside. The only downside that I've found is that these trash compactor bags are scented. I have not been able to find a brand that is unscented. And I can't even pinpoint the scent that they use. It's just some really awful chemical scent. So I think the best solution is just to open up the box, pull out the bag all the way, and let it air out for a while in your garage. I've been using mine for over a year, and it fits perfectly inside my 65-liter Osprey pack. And it keeps your gear 100% dry, as long as you twist the top and kind of make sure that it's closed you're going to have dry gear and the bags are super durable. If you ever get a rip, you can always just patch it up with some packing tape or some duct tape or just replace it. Yeah. How much does a single bag cost? They end up being about $1 to $2 a bag, depending on where you buy them. The reason we recommend trash compactor bags is because they're super strong. So they're less likely to get punctures and cuts from the stuff in your pack. Now, can I share like the downside of using an interior waterproofing versus exterior? Oh, yeah, I do. The downside is that the pack itself will get wet. And anything that's on the outside of your pack will get wet. Your water bottles will get wet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not a big deal if your water bottles get wet or if your tent poles get wet. Usually the stuff that's on the outside of your pack is stuff that it doesn't matter if it gets wet. But you got to keep that in mind. The pack itself will get wet because the waterproofing is inside the pack. And anything that's on the outside of the pack will get wet as well. Sometimes I stuff my hat on the outside of my pack or I stuff my insulating layer, my fleece or my puffy on the outside. There's just kind of an outside pouch that I use. And uh, of course, that would all get soaked with this particular hack. So you got to remember Everything that needs to be protected needs to be inside of that trash bag inside the pack. And we'll leave you today with a little bit of trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Henry David Thoreau. He said, Beware of all enterprises that require new clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to dedicate this one especially to my daughter, who refuses to wear hiking pants. She loves jeans, and so she will go out on all of our hiking trips wearing jeans. And her jeans do get soaked. They, they wick the water like crazy. Did. And somehow yes. she survives. Yeah, she does really well. And she's very adaptable. And uh, But when I read this quote, I thought of her. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, then grab a t-shirt at thefirst40miles.com slash shop. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles.
Ooh, my voice sounds manly this morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we go. <clears throat> Hack of the week. Hack of the week. Oh, apostrophe. Hack of the week. Oh, apostrophe. Oh, we should call the week. The hack of the week when it's uh, March seventeenth. Hack of the week. Yeah, yeah. I'll just go stand in a corner. (laughs) Come back. Okay, I'm back. Okay.